Let me tell you what this political movement is about. Jobs and growth for all Australians. Gone jobs and growth. Have great jobs. Economic growth. Strong growth. More jobs. When they go low, we go high. So I'm seeing in my mind something very similar with this bill to a colonoscopy. Let me just stop you so you don't waste a line of questioning. I'm just giving you... I love the mansplaining. I would build a great wall, and nobody builds walls better than me, believe me. Please clap. Please clap. This is Represent. 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 On Sid Nation. Good afternoon. You are listening to Represent on Sin Nation. I'm Maria. I'm Julia. And I'm Tash. On today's show, we are focusing on the fusion of science and politics. Joining us on our very green discussion, we will be speaking with Dr. Will J. Grant from Australian National Centre for the Public Awareness of Science. We will be discussing energy security in South Australia, climate change, cuts to the CSIRO and much more. Don't forget you can get involved too. Send us a tweet at SINREPRESENT or follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash represent. We will be putting up some polls today on Facebook page, so get your like, happy, sad, heart, wow and angry reacts ready. But first, to get us in the mood, we're going to put on a little song for you. Redbone. South, South Australia now, where energy security has sparked a debate on if the state should decrease its renewable targets. This is in light of recent blackouts that occurred during a heatwave last week. To talk about this is Simone Coletto, a young person from Adelaide. Hi, Simone. Hi. How are you today? Yeah, I'm really good, thanks. So have you personally been affected by blackouts in South Australia and what are they like and how do you deal with them? Um, yeah, I've experienced the last three blackouts. Um, at this point, I kind of just have a bunch of like candles and standby in my room and like some matches just in case the next time. Um, it makes it really hard to do things especially at night um last time i actually dyed my hair by candlelight in my bathroom so you become really kind of ingenious about how to t- deal with a lack of electricity pretty suddenly um but yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay, we're gonna do i guess i like the, the candles everywhere can be a bit fun <laughs> you could be um... is it a bit easier to like i don't know were you more in the mood like when you were like dyeing your hair <laughs> <laughs> like you were like, like I'm in a music video now. Witchy, seance kind of <laughs> feeling. Um, I mean, it's that and like the kind of added pressure of, you know, listening to as much music as I can until my phone battery runs out. But, you know, yeah. give and take. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so South Australia's energy is 40% renewables and the state's target for 2025 is 50% renewables. There have been calls from the federal government and the South Australian Liberal Party to reduce this target. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think it's ridiculous. Um, at this point, renewable energy is like a shift. It's the way of the future. It's where we need to go if we want any sort of like lasting environmental like existence. Um, and like with the first main blackout, for example, like the issue there was broken power lines. And when we have that kind of problem, like it doesn't matter where the energy is coming from, like broken power lines and broken lines, it was still from coal, it still would have blacked out. So I think they're just looking for scapegoats and just trying to pin their um, political agenda on top of like and um, just the act of God, if you want to call it that. Mm. Do you think that the responsibility for frequent blackouts fall on energy providers for not providing backups to the main power grid? I think it's definitely an element of that. Um, with the last blackout we had with the load shedding, as they called it, 
um, my thoughts from like people I've talked to since it be um, it was one of these like privatized generators deciding like they'd reached the cap of the price um, and they were producing too much energy so they cut back the energy so they could maintain the high price they were charging. Um, so that was kind of more of like a selfish profit-based decision than like anything that was actually needed to happen. What do you think state and federal governments, as well as energy providers, should do to ensure that South Australia has reliable energy? Uh, well, in like an ideal world, we would buy back our like infrastructure from private companies. Um, but more, more realistically, maybe supporting more um, like solar generators and privately generated energy, so people can have their own source of energy without relying on large companies in their you know, bottom line. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to add or say on this issue? Um, just that I think that it's a really dumb move trying to blame renewable energy for the problems. And we know we have countries like Scotland who have successfully financed, like, powered their entire countries on 100% renewable energy without problems. So we know it can happen. It's just a matter of the government taking this forward and going for it. Thank you so much for speaking to us on this issue, Simone. Have you have a good day. You too. Thanks. So, dear viewers... Well, listeners, um, do you think that going to South Australia is going into renewable energy too quickly or are we setting a good example for the rest of Australia? To get involved in the conversation, send us a tweet at SinRepresent or follow us on Facebook.com forward slash SinRepresent. That was Cranes in the Sky by Solange. You are listening to Represent on Sin Nation. We have Dr Will Grant on the phone from Australian National Centre for Public Awareness of Science at Australian National University to speak to us about climate change and government responsibility in tackling environmental issues. Hi, Will. Hi, how you doing? Good, thanks. Thanks so much for talking to us today. Yeah, no trouble at all. Beautiful. So to start us off, um, where do we currently stand in reference to climate change? Ha! Huh. Go. (laughs) Okay, so the climate's changing and uh, it's getting pretty bad and we know that humans are causing it and we're not changing very quickly in terms of decarbonising the world economy or the Australian economy. Uh, A lot of people say that we're still pretty much tracking on a business business as usual uh, sort of projection. That means that our carbon... Um, emissions are still going up. Um, we're not doing very much there, but you know, maybe there's some glimmers of hope. So, look, things aren't looking great, but um, optimists amongst us think there's still things we can do and, and we still have a chance to do stuff. So with um, the various attempts in combating climate change, like the summits and the pledges to reduce carbon emissions, how big a role do they play and like, how much of an effect will they have on combating climate change? Or um, is it still sort of in infant stages? Uh, this is a really interesting question, really, because um, there's, there's two approaches to this. One says the way that we are going to fix climate change is by bigger and bigger levels of government, so federal governments, national governments, and then beyond there, um, inter- international meetings and things like that, where these governments will come together and agree to um, limit their uh, carbon emissions, setting targets or something like that. And then they'll implement their own sort of, uh, maybe some sort of, cap-and-trade scheme or a renewable emissions target or something like that and find their own way to do that. Now, yeah, I don't know. The other side says that the way that we are most likely to um, reduce our carbon emissions 
is via things that may be starting from government policy, but are not necessarily all there now, is by uh, various um, business initiatives whereby uh, low-carbon energy uh, gets cheaper and cheaper. Now, this, in some ways, it started with um, Germany with a, a, a policy they put in back in the 90s, but has from there has made solar, panel, solar panels cheaper and cheaper and solar power cheaper and cheaper to the point where in a lot of places around the world, like even not just you know, sunny Queensland, but um, uh, places throughout Europe, uh, solar is the cheapest new form of power that you can get. So if anyone's building a new power station of any sort, um, in a lot of places it will be solar or wind or something like that. So my feeling is, look, the getting governments to agree on anything is very hard. It was harder. It was hard um, when we had Obama and um, fairly fairly benign leaders. But it's going to be incredibly hard with Trump now. So my feeling is we've got to go in the other direction. We've got to get business to uh, to do things that might solve this problem. So do you think that the Paris Treaty that was recently signed won't be as successful as previous? Um, like the Kyoto Protocol or such. Look, I think I think the Paris Treaty, you know, it, it, it was a it was a good landmark and it, and it certainly uh, made a difference. And I think having you know previously having a, a strong agreement between the US and China is going to make a huge difference. Now, China has a lot of reasons that they want to reduce their emissions, not just to be a good international citizen, but they've got a lot of domestic problems in terms of um, pollution. So they they actually there's a, there's a bunch of reasons that they want to start doing something about this. But I think we can't really assess what Paris is like anymore, given that um, we don't really know what the Trump administration's take is going to be. But it, one thing we can guarantee, the Republicans and Trump are not very pro-action on climate change at all. So Paris may not um, may not last very long. Um, and just going into um, government and environment. So, you know, most of us believe in science um, and we do as much as we can to combat environmental decline and voice our concern. Um, but at what point does it become dangerous or harmful for members of our government to continue with the rhetoric that undermines climate science, like um, Malcolm Roberts and Scott Morrison just last week um, with his lump of coal? Yeah. Look, um, I think yeah, there's a place in our parliament for people from all walks of life. I, you know, I think, I think in, in some sense we have to recognise, whether we're environmentalists or not, or from whatever side of politics, it's it's good that we have diversity in in parliament, and so you know I'm I'm a strong believer in science. I think science is solid, and I think that's a very mainstream opinion. If you want to have some fringe people in in parliament who have very different takes on science, that's all fine. I think it's much more worrying when you have people that are in the midst of the government, for example, Morrison and other people in the coalition who are um, deniers of of the science on climate change. I think that's that's much more problematic. But look, I think the thing about coal really is that it's a dying industry anyway. You know, the first, is, you know, Queensland has put in a, um, a lot of effort in this Adani coal mine, and a lot of the coalition are big fans of this Adani coal mine. You know, it's going to cost hundreds of million dollars to set up a train line, and supposedly we'll sell our coal to India. But when you think about it, the first bit of coal that, uh, if, if the... Um, the price of coal drops or goes up or anything like that. But the first bit of coal that India's going to stop buying is coal that they have to ship across the sea from Australia. They'll, they'll open up their own coal mines and they'll use that coal beforehand. So I think you know the likelihood that we have a viable energy industry in co exporting coal for the next 50 years is just delusional. I mean, yeah, sure, there's people that think this would be great, you know, we can make a lot of money out of this, but it's just not true. You know, I think 
the rest of the world is moving on on, car- on decarbonisation and we should be getting with the program, not just because it's, it's a good international citizen to look after the planet, but also because uh, we need to set up economies for uh, industries for the future and coal is not going to be one of them. Yeah, definitely. And um, finally, I know you touched on the Trump presidency, but I just wanted to ask again about, uh, get you to speak again about it. Um, I just wanted to know what you think um, his approach toward environmental protection um, how that will play out in his presidency? I think one of the one of the things you know people around the world are trying to work out about Trump is is where his stance is on a lot of things, and I think he doesn't have a strong fixed ideology on a lot of issues, and on some of them he'll just follow the Republican line. And I think on on most um, environmental protection and environmental regulations, he's going to follow the ideologues in the Republican Party and just say rip up any environmental. Um, Legislation, whether it's about uh, climate change or and decarbonisation, or whether it's about um, you know the water supply in Flint, Michigan, or anything like that, I think that Trump will be um, his administration, however long it'll last, uh, will be an environmental disaster. But that's standard for Republicans. You know, they're they're not they're not pro doing anything about the environment, or they haven't been for um, 30 years. So, yeah, until until they start realising when. The impacts really start coming home. They're not going to be doing anything about the environment. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for speaking to us, Will. We really appreciate no, it. No, Yeah, cheers. Awesome. Thank you so much, by the way. That was Will, a uh, Dr. Will Grant from Australian National Centre for the Public Awareness of Science at ANU. Um, you can get involved in the discussion too. Send us a tweet to at sinrepresent or follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash sinrepresent. Don't forget to participate in our emoji polls, um, which you can find on our Facebook page. We're now going to go to a song. The CSIRO experienced last year a budget cut of $115 million. This has become increasingly frightening due to the influence the department has had on climate solutions globally. Malcolm Turnbull announced a cut to 100 full-time positions out of about 140 staff from two units of the Oceans and Atmospheric Division, a division dedicated to climate sciences. Globally, this has caused protests from people such as the former US President Al Gore and the World Climate Research Program. Professor Will Steffen at ANU stated, Cutting climate science now as the demand escalates for both adaption and mitigation strategies is like flying into a violent storm and ripping out the radar, navigation and communication instruments. It just doesn't make sense. Lobby groups such as the Climate Council warned the government about the long-term effects of such as the loss of information that could prevent natural disasters. Similarly, with Australia seeing itself having its average temperature rise about one degree over the past century and heat waves increasing in intensity and frequency, should we be rejecting long-term research and plans for the future? MP Kelly O'Dwyer responded to allegations of the budget neglecting to mention climate change in Q&A last year. with Brazil on actually having the highest uh, emissions reductions 
in the world. Now, I actually think you should be looking at outcomes rather than looking at, you know, whether a word was mentioned or not mentioned. Later in the year, Environment Minister Greg Hunt announced 15 new jobs in this sector with an addition of $37 million. CSIRO CEO Larry Marshall says regardless of policy, research and industry need to work together in order to allow the CSIRO to thrive. So, is there a balance that the Turnbull government can take in order to create policy that will protect our present and future environmental and science needs? Maria Dunn there ending her report. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. So, to start this discussion, I thought um, I would like to um, mention a quote that um, the CEO, Larry Marshall, stated um, that Australian researchers, businesses and startups to realise more commercial value from their great innovations by taking them into a bigger market. And that's what the CSIRO's new plan is. So what um, to start off, um, Julie, what do you think about that? It is a little bit interesting. I, I, I do feel like businesses should get involved in... Um, so sorry about that. <laughs> I think um, I think what's interesting is like, it is a bit strange how there's a big big focus on tech and um, you know, really kind of of the moment businesses, but like there is a little bit less uh, focus on long term, um, long term research projects. Yeah. And I think that ultimately, I mean, like you want a bit of both. I, yeah. I definitely understand like why the government is pushing for, you know, more more small businesses, more t- uh, tech startups, etc. I think that's really important, and that's something that they shouldn't do. But I dislike how it seems to be like you either choose one or the other. I find it's really a big problem that people think have been. Pit- I I find it really um, problematic that people have for a very long time pitted business against environment. This kind of idea that uh, focusing on the environment is bad for business, which is absolutely not true um i think you know especially as um a lot of manufacturing um so manufacturing of um cars have is now in decline in australia um we need to think about how we can reskill people and maybe focusing on manufacturing um Renewable energy sources or, you know, I remember <laughs> on Q&A, this is before the big disaster in Q&A happened, yeah. um, Yasmin Abdel-Megid, who is an engineer, was saying, you know, the, the, the reason why we see issues um, arise in South Australia is because they haven't made the infrastructure yet mm. for um, new renewable energy. It's like, you know, having a road that is working perfectly well for, like, horse and carriage, but now we've got a car, so how do we make roads better it's the same thing but we need that for that we need um more business investment and um that actually is going to create more jobs yeah i feel like there's a real point to that like in the sense that um it's good and all to say that we're focusing on innovation and how to make um businesses and support businesses um, through so- the sciences, but I feel like without the supporting research, we're not truly like showing the potential of um, what um, our like industry like. We're looking at the short term, um, you know, get quick, rich schemes kind of thing. We're not looking at the long term research that will tackle a lot of issues that may affect us in the long term. 
um, such as climate change, which may not have, like, it could even have, like, an economic um, incentive towards that um, as, like, the climate gets hotter, you know? There's, like, a lot of things that are kind of, like, adding together and together and together. What were you talking about earlier, um, Tash, about the um, Silicon, Silicon Valley? Valley? Yeah. Um, just that I thought it was interesting that they would have a um, setting up a post in the US in Silicon Valley um, and Larry Marshall described it as a no-brainer um, to sort of enter into the US market. Um, so and I just think that's kind of interesting. That's a focus on innovation and that could, you know, expand the research areas that, um, yeah, kind of dormant in some sections. So what do you guys think? About it. Yeah. it is a little bit interesting. I do find it it's a bit strange that an Australian um, research company is based has you know have have these bases in um, in other countries. I do feel like it's it's great that they're in other countries, but at the same time, we still need to make sure that CSIRO is still based in Australia. Um, and I think it's important for like science at home to really have a place without you know people thinking that they have to move to California in order to you know, do their research, you know, I feel like that's important. Like I've got, I, I mean, like I know quite a few people who are studying science and stuff and, you know, I, I feel like it's important to ensure that there is opportunities, particularly for young scientists to have some um, opportunities at home that, you know, they don't have to relocate to move. Yeah. So they, to do their, um, you know, they shouldn't have to relocate to another country in order to do research, unless, of course, you know, that's a specific um, research that is about something that's only in another country. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess it adds a kind of, like, excitement around the idea of science and research, which um, becomes more of an international recognition. So, mm-hmm. I don't know, like, rise in popularity and stuff would maybe make the government less inclined to defund certain sections mm. of the CSIRO and... I don't know, create more of a profile if there's bases that are around the world rather than just Australia. Then it also shows, like, a change in, like, how science is kind of, like, seen. It's seen as, like, more of a political thing that, like, politicians can change Mm. and, like, be like, we'll delegate funds for you if you move to another country. Like, I feel, like, to an extent... um, the fact that the CSIRO are exploring these options kind of shows um, how vulnerable they are. Yeah, and how Turnbull can have such a great influence. Yeah. And I think that's also important for people to understand that um, politicians can have such a big influence on the change of like science mm. and such. And I think that it's really important for us to like um, talk to our politicians and kind of like express like the um you know the fact that we understand that the politics is um influencing the science in some ways you know and i guess like the big question is like what at what point does like science and environment and climate um become like a dangerous intersection with government um and when should government sort of butt out yeah. <laughs> Excuse yeah. our colloquial way of saying things. Yeah. Uh, you are listening to Represent on Sin Nation. You can get involved in the conversation too. Just send us a tweet at Sin Represent and follow us on Facebook, 
facebook.com forward slash sin represent. We also have some polls on our Facebook about our discussions we've been having, having and we want to hear your opinions. Now time for Pop Chat. This is where we discuss interesting stories I haven't throughout the week that you might have missed out on. Um, so, Maria... What stories have been taking your fancy? What's your pop chat? Um, I interest um, on the BBC and on a few websites um, in the past few years, and like um, this week, I recently saw it on the BBC. Um, they were discussing matchmaking in Japan and the fact that they have state-sanctioned um, matchmaking. Yeah. Do you want me wow. to? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty uh, crazy. <laughs> go into that. Well, the fact is that the government is investing a lot of money in and like a lot of like is like delegating a lot of like different matchmaking services for young or like older, like people between like the age of 20 to 30 um, or even older, like 40 maybe. I don't know. With the um, hopes of creating. With the hopes of creating more people having babies and getting married. It's so sweet. Um, we give out money here and over there. They well, like... there's like a culture in Japan of like people um, not um, having children out of wedlock and having a, like a very strict like hmm. relationship kind of thing. So basically the government tried to like enforce like a way of like oh, well, maybe they're just not meeting each other, so we might as well, like, create all these events to meet each other, which is kind of interesting because it's, like, when would you ever have, like, the government being, like, go and have children and make babies, like... It's kind of They're your parents kind of thing. Because, like, the Japanese birth rate fell to a record low in 2014 with 9,000 fewer babies being born than the previous year, and it's, like, the fourth executive fall. And there's basically more old elderly people than there are um, children being born so they're scared that they'll have an ageing population and they won't have anyone in the workforce or anything like that because no babies are actually being born so they're trying to make like a new generation of like people and rise like the um, birth rate to like 2.0 mm. yeah it's kind of the sweetest thing I've heard all week <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Meanwhile, I've been um, kind of focusing on what's happening in the Netherlands right now. So, um, oh, Geert Wilders, who is um, a leader of a far-right group called the Freedom Party um, in the Netherlands, has prepared a law to um, protect uh, the Black Pete holiday. So, for people who aren't aware, um, Black Pete is a character um, who is St. Nicholas's helper in... Um, in Christmas time, and the problem with um, Black Pete is that it's usually portrayed by a white person who is pretending to be black, Um, and so this particular party, um, headed by Geert Welders, which is a uh, very, very far-right party in the Netherlands, um, has put forward an actual law to keep... um, the tradition going. Um, And, yeah, Geert Wilders is is considered to be, you know, in the same sort of sphere sphere as, like, Marine Le Pen, um, that kind of new uh, ultra-right-wing trend that we're seeing in Europe. And 
to make matters a little bit more interesting, so the Dutch election is happening in about three weeks' time, and he has a narrow lead. Um, oh. <laughs> has a narrow lead in um, in polls right now. Um, so Wilders is expected to net 27 seats, which is down from 35 seats in, from two weeks ago. So it's like he's gone a little bit lower than it was, but people people are quite interested in him over there. Mm. <laughs> I have, a, like, blackface is just never okay. And I just think it's really weird yeah. that we're still discussing its issues or, like, whether it should be legal like, like it's most weird. of like the reason why a lot of people in the netherlands kind of have um like a strong um connection is due to the fact that it's considered like a tradition but like basically there's like um it's really interesting because like some tv shows in the netherlands basically say like they had like things for like a children's tv show that was deemed really racy and controversial due to the fact that it presented like a black character basically saying black pete is like the worst to children and a lot of people took that as a really offensive thing in the sense that like they were, they were saying it's tradition we're not like um you know presenting him in a malicious way but what's also interesting is black pete actually had um more racist like like even it was even more racist in the sense that it was con- he was considered as a like a slave and instead of giving candy to children like they do in mo- like he's been presented in modern times to ensure that like nobody takes offense basically he was seen as like the discipliner and like the evil like man kind of thing mm. which even makes it like knowing all of like the background to it it's like why did they still yeah. keep it up it's really like it's yeah. interesting like like why not have it's kind of like the problem is is that it comes down to black Pete. yeah exactly so why not have instead of black pete just pete who yeah, might be exactly. like the, the weird person who's hanging behind saint nicholas but you know obviously you're not black facing yeah exactly yeah. i feel like it's, this is the whole like rise in the um far right and the whole like political correctness debate is that these traditions that are you know, systemically racist and offensive, um, you know, people who agree with it and like it are usually the ones that have always been in the majority. And, like, I don't know, I just think that just because it's tradition doesn't mean it should stay and it's not necessarily politically correct to say, can we not do that? Yeah, exactly. And it's also, like, um, it's really... um, It's also really sad in the sense that, like, a lot of... um, there were, like, stories about, like, people who are black in the Netherlands and people point... Like, little kids pointing at them and being, like, Black Pete or, um, you know, like, in the sense that, like, they're, like, associating the two together. Yeah. So if you see, like, this, like, kind of archetype of, like, a black person being, like, m- mischievous and giving out candy, like, it, like... And also being stupid and stuff like that and, like, being, like, Santa's, like giving treats but also not like the brightest fellow kind of thing it kind of like allows like it it makes kids like associate the two together and it's really like unfortunate that like there's still countries that like have that issue yeah Mm. tash what's your pop chat they always go to donald trump (laughs) he just doesn't escape me and i wish he did but um, he had a tr- uh, press uh, uh, media conference recently and um, it was, like, bizarre and 
entertaining but then really really frightening and I couldn't get through it and then I had to get through it so um it was just really weird so he um was asked a question about these leaks that his that had happened um dealing with his former national security advisor Michael Flynn who resigned recently and speaking with Russia during um the Trump campaign um about you know, lifting sanctions and basically a total conflict of interest. Um, So he was asked about the leaks and this crazy response he said was, the leaks are real. Um, The leaks are absolutely real. The news is fake because so much of the news is fake. So it was just the weirdest thing, like admitting something is real, but the coverage of it is fake. And I just thought that that was crazy. And I don't know, like... It didn't make sense to me, but it also does it make like, sense to other like, people? Like when they see yeah. that, do they think, "Oh, yeah, he's right. The media is really bad," but well, that doesn't make yeah. sense to me because it was like interesting also seeing like Turnbull's like response to like the press conference and saying that like you know like a like using the Winston Churchill quote that was basically um, stating you know a carpenter blames his tools kind of thing. Mm. Um, which I thought was kind of interesting also, like, the fact that he was kind of, like, promoting the media and, like, the fact that the media's just doing their job. Yeah. And they've always been like that, you Yeah. Know? So, yeah, I thought that was interesting. What about you, Julia? Yeah, um, it's, it's Trump. <laughs> I'm not particularly surprised, but um, it's interesting how, how, like, fake news has become such a buzzword recently. Um... Because, you know, originally we were thinking fake news is Breitbart. Um, and, of course, like, the well, left... Breitbart is. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, of like... <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, like, the left is just as bad with fake news. Um, plenty of of sites, um, you know, like, just check your dossier before you publish it. BuzzFeed. Um, <laughs> hashtags, um, hashtag sad face sad, sad emoji face. sad reacts only <laughs> um, but like it is interesting because I feel like uh, I mean I wouldn't say that Trump got in because of fake news but I do feel like fake news was a factor in how he got in um, I think or not necessarily fake news but I feel like fake news can be a little bit too much of a harsh term but like um News that is incredibly biased it shows a skewed, um, a skewed uh, perspective of like what's actually happening in the and world. And his rhetoric towards the media yeah. too really spoke to exactly. So, you know, it's kind of interesting because it is it is you know him pointing out something, but also he has definitely profited off um, fake news himself. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, it's really annoying that I keep bringing up Trump, but I think that when it gets to the point where I don't talk about Trump and I'm not surprised by what he does, I think that's when it gets kind of scary. Or like, he's we like, really have to keep just on not him. done anything, and you're like, oh, well, sweet. that would be great. That but would I doubt be like, it. That would be like the like the weird day that was like, I don't know, you're like ice cube for a second, and you're like, today was a good day, kind of thing, and just nothing happened. Today was a good day. Trump did nothing. We, yeah, <laughs> we just need to continue to be surprised by what he does, or else I think we just get a little bit um, okay with things with that everything. happen. So yeah. I don't think we should. So I'll bring him up next week. 
Bring him up. It just we should have like a thing. It's just like what happened to Pod Trump this week? Uh, yeah. Slash Trump chat. Trump, Trump chat. chat. <laughs> top Trumps. Top chat. Yes. Trump chat. Trump. Trumps. Trump. 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 We'll Trump, work Trump, on Trump, it. We'll let you know. We can just, call, we can just represent Trump talk. Yeah. Trump talk. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that's all we have time for on represent this week. But tune in next time for more political banter. In the meantime, stalk us on Twitter at SYNrepresent. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash SYNrepresent. We're keeping you up to date on social media throughout the week and we may have more polls on important issues as well. For more news and current affairs on SYN, tune in to Panorama at 4.30 weekdays on SYN 90.7. I'm Tash. I'm Julia. I'm Maria. And thank you for listening. Represent.